0: Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, a podcast from the Orange Students team.
1: Our mission is to help you, the youth leader, influence the next generation. And we do that through this podcast, other resources, and our weekly curriculum, XP3.
0: If you'd like to learn more, check out orangestudents.com. But for now, let's get started with this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Youth Ministry. I'm Sarah, and today I'm joined by Ashley. Hey. Charlie. Hi. And Chef. Hey, everybody. And today we're asking the question, does your youth ministry need small group leader coaches? And I am so excited to have you three here to talk about this, because all of you come from really different youth ministry environments. Some of you had coaches, some of you didn't. So I think you all bring a lot of personal experience to this conversation that I think um, will really benefit our listeners. So to start, I want to begin with a really basic question: What is a small group leader coach?
2: I love the the pause, and I think that's part <laughs> that's of the tally. problem and why um, why we're having this. Right. I know, you know, for me that that was the question that we had to answer in order to get it right, and it was one of the hardest things I ever achieved in youth ministry, and also one of the most powerful things once we figured it out. I mean, it I failed. Three times, I think, twice with the lead pastor's wife as a coach. So that was awesome, (laughs) Um, you know. um, But then finally getting there. You know, in in essence, it is that level uh, between you or a staff member and the volunteer so that 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 volunteer can be taken care of just like, you know, it's the same strategy with students is that we need to give students somebody. Yeah. And we need to give our volunteers somebody and depending on the size of your ministry, depending on how many jobs you have, that can't always be you. Okay. Um and so it's just a it's a stopgap between you know paid staff and your core volunteers leading small group that ensures that those volunteers are being loved on, that they're being encouraged to grow yeah. and that they have what they need.
0: Okay, so almost a small group leader for the small group leaders.
2: I think that's a great Yep. Ex- example. I a think great, that's good. Great
0: I was going to say I paused
3: because I'm thinking about like when you try to explain the role of a small group yeah. leader, it's so many different things. Mm-hmm. It, I kind of felt that I feel the same right. hesitation. <laughs> we had Not to write a whole book like, because yeah, it's we couldn't like, answer it very Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a great way to explain it is a small group leader for small group leaders.
0: Yeah. Chef, you said you failed twice at this, so I want to get back to that. Before we do, I, who here has had coaches in their youth ministry before and who hasn't?
1: I did not have a coach okay. in my student ministry, and I think it was my biggest mistake and my biggest miss in ministry okay. is not having that layer. Okay, um, I was at a smaller church, and we didn't even have a small group culture, and so I felt like creating that small group culture took a lot of hands on yeah. from me as a leader. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you have 43 small group leaders, and that's all I'm doing right. is coaching, leading, and loving on those leaders. And so, I don't know, that's hard. Like yeah. It took so much out of me. Then I didn't feel like I was doing my role as pastoring families and yeah. students.
2: So yeah. when you went to a group's approach, mm-hmm. the ministry grew.
1: It did grow yeah. exponentially.
2: And fast. So I think fast. that's a really good point for for those of you who are thinking I'm not big enough I don't need a coach I you know I think a lot more people need coaches than they think they do <laughs> you know I, I mean, would agree
1: with that yeah um,
2: and the fact that if this works when this works if you're if you're you know it just works you know and when you're running the the stri- strategy correctly there will be growth and to have that person in place is what's going to allow you to keep growing and keep doing the the things so I think that's just an important
1: well point. And- I guess for me, I don't know how to identify a coach. Like, I don't know who that person would have been, Mm -hmm. right? right? Like, looking back, maybe after a year or two, I could have defined that person. But from the very beginning, I still feel like it had to be me Mm -hmm. for, like, the cultivating of what that looked like, um, having small groups and having a small group ministry. But now as I sit back and I coach other youth pastors, it's sometimes hard for me to articulate, well, what does a coach really look like? Right.
0: Yeah. Ashley, what about you? Did you come from—
3: So one church I was at, we did not have coaches, and one church I was at, we had coaches. And so, Charlie, I can actually really relate to you when you talked about we we didn't even necessarily have a small group driven Mm -hmm. model first. Um, So the the first church I worked at, we had small groups, but they weren't like strategically designed. And it was more of an event-driven ministry than it was a small group-driven ministry. And so it was this whole process of what does it look like to have a strategic, small group-driven ministry? And what is the culture of that? And so Mm -hmm. when I look back at it, I think, so we didn't have coaches, but I don't think we could have yet. Right. I thought, like when I look back at it, I think I wanted to be in it. Like, Mm because we are creating this culture and we were trying to help people understand, like, what could this be? Mm -hmm. And I don't think, like you said, Charlie, I don't think I know who I would have picked to be a coach because they hadn't yet experienced what the small group was supposed to be like. And you're probably like me. You're still trying to find what a small group leader is in your context. Totally, totally. And I think that the next step would have been, okay, we've built this small group model now. Now a layer of coaches would have been helpful. because right. like you, I ended up with 52 small group leaders yeah. and I'm like, they're taking all of my time. But also I love networking with people. Right, so right. I loved my relationships yeah, with yeah. them, which is a whole other thing I think we can talk about, yeah. you know, when it's built around one personality or one person. Right. But I do think that that's an important point you made, Charlie, because
1: I felt that too. Well, and I also think in my first 10 years of student ministry, I never heard the word coach, right? and I didn't know what that was. And then in this last 10 years, it's really been a a pop culture word. It's really Mm -hmm. happening in churches, and people are talking about it. So I don't even know if I would have even originally thought of the idea.
3: Yeah. And to be honest with you, it really wasn't until I changed positions to work at Chef's Church that I really saw a coaching model because I didn't hear people talking about it that often. And so it was really cool to change to a new setting and see it like further down the road than the church that I was coming from. And just the the years of development and things you've learned along the way and see a coach model that was working well and kind of see it from the outside in at first before you kind of infiltrate into how did this actually get built.
0: Yeah, that's good. So Chef, Unpack your failed attempts for us. Yeah.
2: Make us feel better. Yeah. I'm happy to. <laughs> Chef's biggest fails. That's what the title this should be. It's a long episode. <laughs> I think when I first started, I remember starting and I, the first thing I did was I created a job description thinking about all the things that needed to be done. Uh, and I, I remember the lead pastor, Andy's wife. Sandra going home, and he, he came to me and said she was so excited that someone had a job description and had thought through that because, you know, our student ministry was growing so fast yeah. that we were reacting, not leading. Yes. And um, many of you feel that way, right? Yeah. And this, this is really what this is about is I need a layer of volunteers who are helping me lead and not just react yeah. to ministry, okay. right? And it's one of the many, many, many things we can do. But looking back at it, I think at first... It was about what needed to be done, not who needed led or who needed loved on, if that makes sense. It was about the what, the stuff that needed to get done, not the who that needed. The second time I was wrapped up in because some were working and some weren't. Okay. I don't understand what that
3: means. Can you say it in a different way? So
2: my job description was primarily here are the things that need to get done, not here are the people who need to be loved and pastored if that makes sense.
1: You had a to-do list, basically. So we
2: just said that a coach is a small group leader of small group leaders. It was like I gave a small group leader a to-do list. Here are the things Mm -hmm. I want you to do. Here are the things I want you to say without addressing the hey, I need, to, I need to free you up to love on kids, to get to know them, and then here's a guide to help you do it better, and here's our programming to help you do it better. So it was
3: it like building the structure? It was very much
2: a logistical job description, okay. Okay. not a pastoral job description. Does helpful. that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. moving in this sort of direction. But it worked for some people. Mm-hmm. And so then I kind of got enamored with the idea that it needs to be a certain type of person, that which, which I was right about this. I just chose the wrong type of
0: person. <laughs> so what did you um, start The second
2: with? time.
1: <laughs> well, that makes everybody
2: yeah. else feel better. <laughs> right. amazing. The second time I did it, it was about the type of person and their experience. And so I wanted experienced small group leaders to be coaches. Okay. My mistake was that I was thinking that most of the time their primary job was going to be helping people lead small groups better. Um, And what I found as a groups director and when I reflect back on the conversations I used to have as a groups director or a staff person in charge of the volunteers or the small group leaders is when I went to coffee with these volunteers, maybe 20% of our conversation was about how to do small group better. 80% of our conversation was about life and and checking in on them and making sure they had great community and were growing themselves. And so... um, The third time I think we got it right, it was a certain type of person, but it was what I was looking for were mentor level adults. Like um, I was looking for pastors of pastors, as we said, small group leaders of small group Mm -hmm. leaders. And so that became interesting uh, because it was, that's a very few people, right? Yeah. However, when I sit back and think about that, I can think about they were older, they were wiser, they often were in business and very successful, um, but could be amazing pastors, right. and those people are all over your church, and they're just waiting for a big enough vision mm-hmm. to follow, mm-hmm. you know, or to or to jump into a ton of times. So that's really when it changed. So I'm interested, uh, Ashley. You came from one church, and then you came into after we had, I think, figured this out, or at least we're on our way to figuring yeah. it out. What are some of the things you saw when you got in there and were introduced to this concept of coaches and the people you met?
3: You know, I think initially I thought it was amazing that you had a level of leadership in your volunteer strategy mm-hmm. that were treated like staff members. Like when we, when we had meetings, the, the coaching level of volunteers yeah. were in the staff meeting and oh, wow. treated okay. as, as staff, volunteer staff. Yeah. So I thought, wow, that's really cool. Um, And and to be clear,
2: not necessarily during the week or like at a camp or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. They were very much treated like staff.
3: And they Mm -hmm. got different swag and definitely treated differently. But I also thought to myself in a room this big with 900 middle schoolers in this room right now, I don't know how you ever know how small group leaders are doing without a coaching model. So it was almost like multiply the ministry I had been leading by so many mm-hmm. I the model I was using would never have been able to sustain that kind of growth. Mm-hmm. And so just to see it in a different setting and and further down the road of growth. I don't know how you do ministry without it in that size of a church. Mm-hmm. And the the leaders, the coaches are phenomenal. Like they had been doing it for such a long time. So they brought some some great history to the mm-hmm. conversation always. They were super empowered. And I felt like that was an area I just sat and watched and learned a lot about. Yeah. I, I also had questions about it because I also feel like I was wondering are the ratios too high?
0: Hmm. In terms of the like, number of small group leaders to coach?
3: Yeah. Okay. Like, are the ratios too high? Or what should they be? How many are, how, what is the ratio at each campus? Because yeah. it was different at each campus for the coaches. How do we break that out? Mm-hmm. And I think. I think something you said that was really interesting, I love that you said we thought about a different kind of leader, someone Mm -hmm. who was leading leaders in like the workplace or business or Mm -hmm. wherever. I love that, but I also think the other side is true is they still needed to know something about small groups and something about middle schoolers to feel almost like that people could trust them.
0: As being almost an
3: authority yeah, able to speak into Yeah, story. and
0: even though 90% of the
3: conversation was maybe about like how what's going on in your personal life, like yeah. how's school going, mm-hmm. what, you know, there is that moment where a middle schooler is like in the group, yeah. they shared that they're having suicidal thoughts. Right. Does a coach know what to do in that moment, yeah.
2: you know? The answer is usually not, uh, but there is a layer at least, you know, and the ratios are there that that news makes its way to someone who... Mm -hmm. To the people
0: you need to know. And you know you have,
2: again, these are mentor level wise older folks who, you know, are super responsible and, um, you know, you you could, you can train them, you can teach some of that, but it's just always been interesting to me. I remember... One of our director, Jen, was uh, the director. She became the director of transit at North Point. But before that, she was a groups director and she needed coaches. And here's one thing. You don't advertise that you need coaches. Yeah.
0: Oh, you don't let Why? people
2: sign up for that job. You, you ask people okay. and you pick people and you invite people to be a part of it. Because you're inviting them really to be an unpaid staff member. You're inviting yeah. them to take on a lot of responsibility and the right person really responds well to that. In fact, mm-hmm. if they don't respond well to that, you just dodged a bullet because that would not <laughs> have been I was going to yeah. say having a, a, a coach, coach who's
3: the wrong kind of person is going to be worse for yeah. your volunteers yeah. than better. No.
2: And that's right. <laughs> and and you back to the your ratio thing? Yeah. You're right. When you did come the ratios were off. We had underestimated just how which we shouldn't have. It's so mm-hmm. dumb looking back at it. We understood that It's kind of 1 to 10 with kids, so we'd have two leaders and have 20 on the roster ideally. Now we never got there, but that was the goal. Yeah. And then we should have just kept the same ratios and thought the same way about the coaches, which we moved to. Mm -hmm. um, Where we had, you know, if there were 20 small group leaders of sixth grade boys at 9 a.m., there were two coaches who, you know, I know those numbers sound – crazy sometimes it sounds like a lot but if there were you know if there are 100, use 100 kids in the ministry and in fact this is just a great exercise to figure out how many coaches you need you put yourself at the top and at the bottom i want you to think about the number of kids your ministry influences the kids on your active roster we call mm-hmm. it and if you don't know what an active roster is we can do a podcast about that but an active roster is basically in the last 16 weeks who are the kids that your ministry's affected like right. how many kids is that which is probably two to three times what your average Sunday attendance is somewhere in there or Wednesday night or whenever you do it. So in between that, like thinking of a one to ten ratio, Mm -hmm. and you have ten people you could really be close with, and you've got to all of a sudden knock off. You have production volunteers you need to think about, so you probably have three or four spaces here for that. And then how many small group leaders do you need to have to affect that many kids, thinking in a ten ratio? And then you've got that space between staff and, you know... I just think that I think everybody needs a coach. Well,
1: you know? Even if you're in a church of and you only have three small group leaders. Right. Do you do you think that's an opportunity at like when you're at three to start training well, a coach?
2: Yes. And here's why. I think everybody needs help. If you have more than ten kids and more than one gender in your ministry, okay. you need to find help. Okay. Does that make sense?
3: I was also gonna say creating a coaching model also Creates basically a pool of people that you hire out from. Right, like when you have an open position on your team, that's or when something gets approved, you've already had this group of people who are called to a higher level leadership that you get to know more. And I was actually thinking to the ratio thing because the way that we had it at North Point was, you know, the director, the group's director, which was in charge of all coaches and the coaches were in charge of all small group leaders i've wondered if there needs to be as you grow to that size like head coaches like coaches of coaches no i mean so like another level that space
2: is yeah but i would if i were you in that ministry you just talked about i have three Mm -hmm. small group leaders i probably wouldn't bring a fourth person in i'd probably find the oldest wisest of the small group leaders and say can you help me Mm. Again, and,
1: and kind of elevate their leadership. again you
2: elevate their leadership above, and you know, and it's about caring for and pastoring the small group leaders. I need you to help me be aware of where they are yeah. in their own spiritual walk. I need you to help me, you know, know what they need and how we can help out, and then they become much more that staff level.
1: And I think in a smaller church, there's this tension all the time of, well. I'm a small church. I'm already a small group, and I don't. And I definitely don't think that that's true. I still think you need to have a small group leader, Mm -hmm. um, divide by genders. Mm -hmm. But I think there's probably some pushback and thinking. Now I need to get one more person, another layer in there, and how hard and and the tension you live in with that.
2: We had we had we had player coaches in it. A
1: player coach, What's and that? they were like small player group player leaders. Because
2: I had several people when I went to them and said, "You know, you're the sort of person we would love to be a coach." And they were like, "I really appreciate that, and I would love that, but I can't give up my kids,
0: uh, oh. so or I can't
2: give leaders. up my relationship with kids." And and so, so
1: your coaches were not small group leaders. They were not sitting in the circle with those students. No, anymore, they were
2: right? another person, like you were talking oh. about. But we did have some that are suited to do both, and that's hmm. just kind of a strengths thing you know by case
0: by case
3: well and yeah. I, I thought another out. benefit of it was when your small group leader can't be there the coaches would step in and lead oh. that small group so okay. you don't have to combine small groups or bring yeah. some random yeah. person in that's great we
2: never mixed groups we always had because we had two adult leaders a high school leader and then you had a coach above it and really cool things happened because the coaches walked with the small groups mm-hmm. the kids knew who the coaches were so a coach who would regularly sit in on different groups just as part of their job, just as part of, you know, just really giving us an idea how groups were going, yeah. the kids knew them. Yeah. So when both leaders couldn't be there on a, you know, a holiday weekend, the mm-hmm. coach could sit in or just the high school leader was there. Mm-hmm, I was always you. pretty cautious, yeah. you know, just not to put the high school kid in a bad yeah. situation mm-hmm. everything else, that the coach was at least right outside the door or sitting with them and letting the small group leader lead. Yeah. But the kids the kids never missed a beat. Like they were going to talk about what they were going to talk yeah. about because this was somebody familiar to them.
3: Charlie, I was thinking about what you were saying about like if you have three small group leaders and if you invited, you know, the oldest or wisest small yeah. group leader to come be part of it. I do think in a smaller church context, and I think this would have been the case in, although the, the first church I was at wouldn't be considered a small church, You know, with 150 middle schoolers in that, I would say even with 52 small group leaders, I think there still would have been a weird dynamic of, oh, Ashley doesn't care. So she's putting somebody else to pastor me, like the dynamics of a smaller church where like I physically could – be part of this because right, there's right. only 52 of you, and I right. love to network with people, but if I am sending somebody else in my place to pastor like you or walk through this with you, it's that. like they're not important enough yeah. for me to pay attention to Well, and I've seen that, yeah. that tension in, see a, that. in a
1: smaller church as a whole, mm-hmm. as the church grows and the senior pastor can no longer yep. show up to everything. Right. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's the same thing. Well, does she not have time for it's me? Does she yeah. doesn't care yeah. for me? Yeah.
2: yeah, It's part of growth, but I think you introduce it to say... You know, I mean, that's one thing we would say is we need coaches because as a staff member, we're too busy on a Sunday morning to give you the attention you deserve and and need. And so we have put in place this, you know. And then over time, it becomes part of your orientation. I used to love to talk to small group leaders and say, let me introduce you to your coaches. What you don't know is as a volunteer in our ministry, you've signed up for a spiritual gym and you are going to get stronger Mm -hmm. in your faith because of the way you serve. Jesus is clear. Mm-hmm. When you give your life away, you find it. Mm-hmm. So you have signed up and you're going to grow more than you know. Here is your coach. So think of your coach as a trainer, a free trainer in this spiritual gym yeah. who's going to walk with you and help lead you and pastor you along the way. That cleared up really, you know, what that person was um, to them. And so they had, here's the point I want to make the big switch I had. I saw things that needed to be done, not people who needed to be loved. When I switched to, I see people who needed to be loved and I need to find a pastor to them. What I got was people who would love on people and somebody who is happy to jump in and help me with all Mm -hmm. the things that need to be done. Does that it's make so sense? Good. It's, yeah. yeah,
1: it's good. so good.
3: And I think um, something you just said was another thing that stuck out to me when I transitioned into your ministry was the way that the staff would talk about the coaches matters, yeah. like and, and lifting them up in public in front of the volunteers. And I think another key thing to building that kind of culture is when you have, let's say, staff, coaches, and small group leaders all together, that it's not always the staff person who's leading the meeting, right. even when the staff person's there. Oh, like interesting. in yeah. meetings yeah. and trainings, they would have coaches lead these and Mm. there would still be staff people there so the staff people were also learning from the coaches Mm. so what it did was have buy-in from small group leaders like this person really does know what they're talking about look the staff people are are listening to them too. and you need to
2: actually listen to the coaches (laughs) because these are the type of people (laughs) that if you're just going to give them something to do or if you're not going to listen to them they are not going to be they're not going to hang around very long right yeah so this may not be applicable to your Ministry context, but the the idea behind it is, is we would do a coaches retreat, and it was awesome. Where the staff would put on a retreat for the coaches, and the whole point of the retreat was they got to speak into the future of the ministry.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. And
2: so we More would spoil buying. them, mm-hmm. and we would you know put them up in this cabin, and we would make them dinner, and we would always serve them. Um, but the the thing that made them most excited was we would turn over the conversation to. Mm-hmm. What do you see that needs to change in our ministry? What are our priorities need to be next yeah. year? So they became part of the team. And the right person to be a coach gets pretty stoked about that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they, and yeah. they yeah. have opinions because these are leaders of yeah. leaders. They're maximizers. They're, always looking, they're yeah. always looking for ways to make ministry better. And you've got to give them the opportunity to speak up into the in ministry yeah. and make them feel part of the team because they are not because mm-hmm. we're just trying to make them feel I, that way.
0: I want to talk more about your idea, what you just said of when the right person is the coach. Like, what is the right person? Because we talked a little bit about, you know, Ashley, you were saying you think having had some small group leader experience is really important. But, Chef, you were saying that's not necessarily the case, but if they are stepping into leading small groups, sometimes if a small group leader is out, like what, so tell me, you know, we want the pastoral role. We want a high capacity person. Like what, what are we looking for?
2: So for me, I would ask myself two questions. One had to do about, do they appreciate the age that I'm trying to get them to to serve? And there are not very many smart people in this world who don't understand the importance of adolescence and middle school or junior high and how many decisions and how many foundational ideas are formed during that time. Mm-hmm. So when I would talk about that, I was looking for excitement in their eyes, like we could really make a dent in this kid's future Yeah, if, that's good. If, if we do this right. So I was yeah. looking for a little bit of that because if I have a little bit of that, I, I can get them pretty pumped up about that. The other question I would ask myself is, is this the sort of person that I would want to go to lunch with for them to, you know, as a male, to speak into my life mm-hmm. as a man, as a father, as a husband, the, mm-hmm. the, the big rocks for me? Is mm-hmm. this the sort of person I would want to speak into yeah. my life that way? And that's a mentor-level person. Yeah, You know, if you're a female, you're thinking the mm-hmm. same things. You know, is this someone who could help me become a stronger woman, a stronger mm-hmm. woman of faith, those sorts of things. And if if I can see some passion and yeah. I can check that box of, you know, the older I get, you know, <laughs> at the time I was in my 30s and early 40s, so, you know, you'd find these 45-, 50-year-old mm-hmm. folks, often they're successful in all kinds of different ways, whether it's professionally or, you know, or at home or whatever, they're just successful people who get things done. Again, they're mentor-level people. There's a reason they're in that position. I think
0: it's interesting, though, because the, they are these kinds of intangible qualities that you're looking for. I mean, there isn't really necessarily a checklist. It's kind of like you're with a person and you understand that they're going to bring a value. Right.
2: They're people you could never afford to pay. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. I mean, no, but and that's real. All yeah. great yeah.
2: pastors, all great folks in ministry are not paid what they're worth. Yep, right? right? That's just true. That was one of my favorite Andy Stanley quotes of all time. He used to say at staff meeting, we don't pay you what you're worth, what you do for this world. You know? And if you're great at ministry, that's just true. And so this is your opportunity to go after people you could never afford and cast vision. And they will love you for it because they are looking for something that matters. Right. You know? oh, I love
0: that. Yeah, too. that's really. What are you good. thinking over yeah. there?
1: Well, I'm just thinking anybody that's in a medium <laughs> to smaller church. Um, I just want Chef to say that a little bit louder for them, <laughs> <laughs> because I think so many times you get caught up with the roadblock. Well, nobody wants to volunteer. Nobody wants to be a right. part of it. But are you chasing
0: after the person? And right? Are
2: you casting casting a vision?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because
0: right. yep. yeah. yeah. the vision has to be big enough to to attract a high capacity right. person. Right. Yeah,
2: that's good. And they'll do something because they should. We don't want them to do something because they should. We want them to do it because they understand the importance Mm -hmm. of it and they feel like this is making a difference. And that's what's going to get them to stick in the long run. That's true of all your volunteers. Everybody from the person who puts out the cookies, you know, Mm -hmm. you need to go into them and be like, hey, here's the thing. If you don't put these cookies out right, the whole ministry is going to fail. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) you've got to communicate that at the end of the day. Um, And for small group (laughs) leaders, it's easy. And for coaches, just... Again, you're casting vision for them to pastor, not to get things done, mm-hmm. and they will get things done yeah. along with the pastoring. So,
3: And I think, you know, something you said in the very beginning, Chef, about creating community for small group leaders, I think that was you. When we have volunteers who are volunteering with teenagers, and if they, let's say they give a one-year commitment, or maybe it's a three-year or four-year commitment, mm-hmm. if they leave that serving opportunity after a year or three years, four years, and don't have other relationships with other adults who have been doing what they do, they've actually missed out on probably the most important and fulfilling part of serving. And so your coaches really can facilitate that. And actually, as I was sitting here listening to you talk about that, I was just thinking about how... This coaching model, I know we're talking specifically about small group leaders, but this can be replicated in a lot of ways, like coaches for parents. Yep. Okay. And like, I'm I'm even thinking, and I was talking to a a youth pastor who has so so many different ethnicities in their Mm -hmm. youth group, and in a multi-ethnic youth environment, that means the family structures are really different, and the way that you communicate to families is different, and who you talk to when you need to talk to a family member, and the way that you talk to them, and all of that. Yeah. And, and he was trying to navigate how do I partner with parents when I have, like, so many different, like, ways I need to yeah. do that. And yeah. he was actually talking about, you know, putting a coaching model in for every different, you know – ethnic group that yeah, could have a coach that would help mm-hmm. wow. the the ministry leaders know how to engage with those families mm-hmm. and how to best engage with those yeah. families yeah. and and the same thing's true even if you have a strategy and your small groups are organized by school right. like I'm thinking mm-hmm. about you know when I was a teacher in the school system and I was also a small group leader in my church I would have been a great Coach for that specific school, yeah, so yeah. all the kids and all of the small group leaders who are responsible for those kids, like what a great opportunity yeah. to partner mm-hmm. with the school, find out what's going on in the school, yep. find yeah. out what opportunities those small groups could be part of at the school. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I don't know. It well, just, and
2: beyond beyond small group leaders, the other way, like I had, you know, John, you know, who is one of our main volunteers, who had all the production students who were volunteering. Mm-hmm. And he was such a pastor to them. And then the worship leaders—you know, the young yes, kids coming yeah. up—because that worship culture can be deadly to a young, yeah. immature faith. Just you know, being in stage, being on stage, yeah. having the microphone, yeah. and to really have a pastor that was leaning into that group was important as well. I didn't necessarily call them coaches, but the, the same thought process awesome. of who would be the person to do this was, and again. You cast a big enough vision, the right people are going to be excited about it.
3: Oh, and another thought about having like parent coaches. Yeah. I know for me, especially I was in my 20s and I a lot of times – you know, even as a small group leader in my 20s and then as a ministry leader in my 20s, I'd find myself in conversations with parents, almost asking myself, like, am I old enough? Yeah. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> am I old enough to be having this conversation? And then again, even as a 35-year-old, yeah. someone who doesn't have kids, I'm yeah. like, how awesome would it be for me to have a parent coach who has kids yeah. who can help me have that
0: conversation because yeah. I don't know what it feels like to have a kid. Right. You yeah, know. That's good. That's really good. So I know, Chef, you talked in the beginning about you didn't want to necessarily create a checklist of what this person is supposed to be or do, but in some ways it's, it's kind of helpful. Like what, what are some, there's, they're pastoring, they're small group leaders, but what are some of the things that they would be doing in that
2: role? Well, I mean, you know, you talk about you. You you've cast vision of what you want them to do to yeah. be the pastors, and then on Sunday morning, we also need you to make sure to pick up the attendance sheets and make right. sure we have coverage in every room. Okay. We tell the small group leaders during training that your coach is the person you call if you're not going to be there. Okay. So they're again, they're responsible for the coverage, and at the end okay. of the day, the kids. So that you know, equated to some checklist to do type. Right.
0: Yeah. Items. Did you?
1: I, I think my brain, as someone who works in a smaller church, is always budget.
2: Mm. So yeah. do
1: your coaches have specific budgets where they can use that to love on their small group leaders, yeah. help their small group leaders love on their students? Yeah. What does that look like?
2: I mean, the biggest thing we had to budget was that retreat. Yeah. You know, okay, um, or a Christmas meal or anything else. I mean, I can't tell you how many. T- we, we would always give them a Starbucks card and say, we would love for you to take your small group leaders to coffee. Okay, Tell us when that Starbucks mm-hmm. card's out of money and we'll recharge it. I never had anybody come back and ask to recharge it because they would just cover it themselves. What about
3: like buying cards or stamps right. or Yeah. And
2: again, those things you offer and I I'm just telling you like I I very I would budget a little bit on the side to get it kind of started and very few people ever turned in a receipt. Okay. They okay. just took care of it. It was their gift to the ministry sort of thing. It's the same thing with our disciple now weekends. I would budget really for like 60% of our homes to ask for that, you know. Uh, they turn receipts in yeah. for the food, most of them would say it's our gift to the ministry. You know, mm. oh, wow.
1: That's so um, unique because my current church where I serve as a small group leader, I would say very few of my other small group leader friends and people in the church could afford to do any of those yeah, things. Yeah. Like for them to buy a bag of solo cups, they would need to be reimbursed for. Right, yeah. right. Um, just because there's some a lot of financial hardships yeah. in my yeah. current church. And you talk about this retreat and all I can see is dollar signs. Yeah, so right. what What's another way that you could train coaches without such a huge financial investment? Well,
2: I don't I don't think you need to go away. It's nice, you know. I mean, I love retreats. I think the most powerful time in a retreat is not the work, it's the time between dinner and bed. For yeah. sure. It's yeah. such a relational. Yeah. You know, if that evening time is important relationally, I mean do a dang sleepover or yeah. something. You know, I mean you can't you can't do a you know, I don't I guess you could do whatever you want, but you should be cautious about that. <laughs> or Do a Saturday meeting where, again, the point is they're speaking into the ministry. So, you know, if it's not realistic to do that for you, which I completely understand, the relational side of it, the motivating part for a leader to get to speak into something, to have a little bit of, you know, control in the future of it, or at least to say in the future of it, if you ignore that, you're going to drive a leader away. You've got to (laughs) Mm -hmm. feed your leaders with that sort of opportunity. And
3: I wonder too, like just with technology for leaders maybe who can't get off work because they have to work in order to provide for their family, even giving them an opportunity to send a video in Mm. to be part of that conversation anyways, I think you can leverage that in that kind of dynamic too. Mm -hmm.
1: I think all the things that Chef is saying here is that creating community within that community is so important. Right. Yeah. And so and creating community doesn't have to cost a ton of money, Mm -hmm. um, but thinking of ways for them to be together, to have the conversations, for them to have a voice in the ministry. And so that you as a youth pastor are not the sole planner of all the things.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. And a sense of value, too, it seems. It's community Mm -hmm. and a value for what they bring to the conversation. Okay, so this is a little bit of a left turn, but have you ever seen – these are all the great things about having a coach mm-hmm. and having that in the structure. Has there, have you ever seen it where it, it's added complications to ministry and it's not worth it?
2: Yes, but it's when it's the wrong person. It's when you So settle. it's not the structure in and right. of itself. It's and so back person. to the ratios, I would rather have bigger ratios than the wrong people. Okay. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So if, you're, if you're stuck with a decision, um, you know, like I really need to fill this spot, yeah. Or this person's going to have too many people report to him. Don't make the decision because of that. It's got to be the right person. And the right person may walk in next week and you'll be able to fix it. Yeah. But once you've moved somebody in the position, then it becomes, you know, super messy. And yeah. you're not going to hit it right all the time. Right. And, and that's just going to be the reality of it. I mean, that's your stewardship as the leader is that you get to decide the characters in the story.
3: Yeah. And I think good. you said something earlier, Chef, the importance of having like a job description and clarity mm-hmm. of what their role right. is. Like when you ask that question that kind of a volunteer into that role and you haven't thought through how you're going to pitch the vision and what you're going to hand off to them, they're going to, they're not going to show up because they're going to be like, you're wasting my time. Or,
2: yeah. And if they do show up and they don't have, these are leaders that are going to run Yeah, and you're going to have some cleaning up to do, which I that's a whole nother podcast of different cleanups when I gave (laughs) people too much, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Freedom, But I do think empowerment is key, going back mm-hmm. to kind of what Ashley said, and I was thinking through different ways we empowered our small group leaders or we communicated how important they were to us. You know, we, would, we were baptizing lots of kids, and baptism interviews logistically became really tough for us mm-hmm. on a Saturday, Sunday morning, you know, as we were running and trying to do things. And we asked coaches if they would help us do those baptism interviews and they were honored to do it. Yeah. Wow. Um, small group leader interviews during our recruiting season became overwhelming. And we would find our best coaches and say, you know, could... And it wasn't just any coaches, by the way, yeah. I would ask to do the yeah. baptism thing. It was like somebody who was theologically sound and really could help us. And and they, they you know, they were part of it. The, the small group leader process was really important. And I, I used to tell them, you know, there's absolutely yes, absolutely no, and... I need you to talk to them. Were the answers that you could give about after you interviewed a small group leader, and often, you know, the other thing we would do is we wouldn't tell them it's part of the process. We would tell them there's an interview or two, and mm-hmm. so the coach would interview them. We'd they'd come back and be like, I think you need to interview them too, and be like, All right, now it's time for yeah, you know, yeah. And the other people had no idea that there wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to be another interview and that sort of thing. So that was a big part of empowerment. And um, so
1: when you saying that the coaches are interviewing the small group leaders. Do then the coaches train the small group leaders, or is that where you step in as the director
2: then? They're a big part of the training.
1: Okay, because I was wondering if that was part of that role as a coach, then once they're trained by you, are Mm -hmm. they then in charge of training all the small group leaders?
2: Yeah. I mean, I for the main trainings at the beginning, that was our main responsibility. However, we would do monthly meetings where the groups were together, the group leaders were together with their Mm -hmm. coach, and their coach would basically keep coming back to... The five big points of lead small and using the same vocabulary and making it part of our culture and really that driving the discussion. So the training kind of kept moving on and on. you got to remember like at the beginning, I would rather that coach be sitting around a round table during the training with Mm -hmm. their folks getting to know each other and having conversations than being the authority because they're walking with these small group leaders. It's good. Does that make sense? Yeah.
3: I'm sitting here thinking about something I said in the very beginning of the podcast and now I'm rethinking (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is fantastic, but um, I had said, Charlie, when we were talking about like transitioning to a small group-driven yeah. ministry, and how you needed to be in the culture to build the culture, you know, and then help people understand how to cast the vision. And you were learning the vision; I was learning the vision in that process. But I think now, because I was so this was probably one of the things I was enamored with most Mm -hmm. when I came to North Point was the whole coaching model. Like, chef, your leadership in that was incredible. And when I look back now, I'm like, you know what I should have probably done was invite a few key people to be part of the entire process, even of me learning it. And that like as volunteers, and then they move into a coaching role once that small group strategy was in place. And the culture was there because then I felt like I had to start over again.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm even thinking (laughs) we host um, like a VIP meeting before we even start on Sunday nights Uh for the volunteers and how stressful that is when you're the communicator because you're already thinking about your talk and then you're like, oh, now I have to train and recast vision for my small group leaders. So having that, per- if I would have had someone walk with me, yep. they mm-hmm. could have been leading those huddle meetings yep. before we started.
3: Yeah, and from the very beginning, from your the beginning. leaders would have been bought into that person. Yep. Right, and then it's not like you create the culture, and then it's like, oh, now I need to add another level of right. leadership, which is always hard for everybody. Yes. Right. Yeah. So full yes. okay. circle here. Yes. Go back and change all my <laughs> mistakes here. Shoot, yeah. I would be I would be a better ministry leader now.
0: <laughs> Hindsight. Yeah. Okay. That, that's really good. So as we kind of begin to wrap up, are there any final thoughts that you guys would want to add on what a coach should be and the kind of job description or anything like that? Well, as I say here,
1: as someone who's learning all the things from Chef, yeah. I wish he'd write it all down for me <laughs> and kind of push me in the right direction.
2: I, I have said everything that I have to write down. <laughs> but I do think, you know, going back to my main point, At the beginning, it's the type of person. And this is why you don't advertise the spots open and you find the right person because there's not a lot of training to do. What you're asking them to be is you're freeing them up to be who they are. That's good. And you're saying, you know, you have not only permission but my support in doing that. I need you to go after the hearts and minds of these small group leaders and help them grow and be inspired. Mm -hmm. And then the other 20%, you're going to train along the way, you know, from, this, you know, as they're part of your trainees, as they come with you to okay. camp, as you let them lead meetings and they feel that, you know, pressure, yeah. you know, they're going to ask the right questions and you're going to get, and that's, that's always true in relational ministry. You cannot have an orientation that answers every question. Stop trying, yeah. but find the right that's people great. and that fit the spots. And then, you know, the training will happen along, that's along okay. the way. So
3: So what I hear you saying is if you wouldn't hire them on your staff, you're probably not going to like them as a coach. That is true. (laughs) That's a pretty good rule of thumb, I feel. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. that's good. I I think also I'm sitting here, like in my last church, there were times where I was the only staff person for middle school. Yeah. And so coaches would have been phenomenal help. But if you're a ministry leader who maybe leans more – Programmatically than Mm -hmm. relationally in general. And maybe Mm -hmm. you are only good at relationships with three people at a time. Like maybe 10 people is too many for you. I think something I said earlier that I want to bring back up because I think it's a great idea, <laughs> um, is the whole head coach idea. Yeah. Like if you if you have five coaches or ten coaches, that may be too much for you. Yeah. And that's okay. Know your wiring. Know who you yeah. are. And and maybe you have one person who pours into those coaches mm-hmm. right. who turns and yeah. pours into your volunteers. Yeah. Just I think different people have different capacity for yeah. how many that's people they point. can be in relationship yeah. That's a good with. point.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: I I think the last thing I would say is someone who grew up in a church where there was one half-paid person in the whole church
0: Right.
2: is that, you know, many of you are probably listening going, I'm in charge and I'm not paid at all. You know, there is still room for coaches. You're you're talking about recruiting your core team. Yeah. And you're talking about based on this, we're talking about the body of Christ here is what we're talking about. The apostle Paul is so clear about this, that we're all gifted in some ways and nobody's more important than the other but you're recruiting a team because your ministry has way more way more things to do than you can be good at. Yeah. You're only good at two things maybe three, mm-hmm. you know, as good as what your kids need. Yeah. Right? So you need help. You need people around you with different skill sets, different passions, and though you may find yourself in charge paid or not, you know, one of your primary stewardships is going to be to lean into the body of Christ and find the people around you so that your whole ministry can be affected by that team.
0: And ultimately that's going to give you longevity in the ministry for you personally. Oh, yeah, that's exactly
2: right. Yeah, doing it alone is a burnout ministry. I will tell you how it ends if you try to do it.
0: (laughs) Not well. Not well. (laughs) That's good. Anybody else, any other final thoughts? Just sitting
1: here and listening to all this makes me even more kind of disappointed in my own leadership because this is really a spot that I missed in ministry. And I think about the burnout that I felt Mm. and how this could have taken a level of that stress away from me. And so I think if you're listening and you don't have this level yet, I think this might be something for you to pray about and think about for your ministry. Yeah.
2: Really well, the true. last thing I want you to do is feel like you weren't effective because you're an amazing youth pastor. So, true. Well,
3: I think I, I agree. With, I understand what you're yeah. saying, Charlie, because it is really inspiring. And to see it you know, on the front lines was yeah. so inspiring. It's something I definitely feel like will take a ministry to the next level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But implementing a coaching strategy also requires some humility. Mm-hmm. like as the ministry leader to like, be like, I'm not going to be the one on the front line with the yeah. volunteers. And I may not be the one in the the conversations that yeah. fill me up all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to empower somebody else to do that. It takes a level of humility that I don't know how you get there. And to I, finish think that you, no, I think that's great. I
2: think it's humility. And I think it's also faith. Like mm-hmm. you have to have faith in the Holy Spirit and the body yeah. of Christ. And that micromanaging your small group leaders is a faith issue. Yeah. Um, it's not you all know. Well, can we you. just
1: amen that for like a, <laughs> a hot minute? Dang. That's good. Yeah. You know, you asked
3: me earlier, like, what are the things I noticed when I came into your ministry? And going off of what you just said about faith and going back to that question, one of the things I was most fascinated by was it wasn't all about one person. Like there was this entire team that was leading this ministry, and it was staff people and it was volunteers. And it wasn't about one person. It was, I don't know, decentralized in a way, like the whole way that the ministry led. And like when a a staff person changed a position, no one even noticed because there were so many layers of leadership like in place that I feel like, I don't know, it really did function more like the body. I don't think the
2: kids had any idea who was a volunteer and who was a staff member. And
3: I'm just comparing it to like a ministry where it's like, personality driven and it's about one person. And, and I think on a whole nother level, I think sometimes we look to our job and our ministry to fulfill something in us that isn't meant to be fulfilled by our job or our ministry. And in the process of doing that, we miss out on an opportunity for so many other people to be used, yep. like, like you were talking about.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great place to land. I think this entire conversation has been super helpful and I think challenging and encouraging in a lot of ways as well. So thanks so much, guys, for sharing your experience with us here. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you want to check out the show notes from today's episode, and if you want to learn more about how to implement this small group culture, which the coaching piece really fits into, check out Chef's book, When Relationships Matter, and we'll have a link up at rethinkingym.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.